Welcome to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. Today's guest is Kathy Nesbitt, owner and operator of a worm composting business that's celebrating its 20th year in business right now. If you're like me, you have almost no idea what regular composting is, but don't worry, we get right into that right off the bat to help you understand more about the worms later on. And don't be off-put by the idea because of the worms either. While we do spend a lot of time talking about the worms, just given the nature of the show, you can actually accomplish most everything that we talk about with no real person-to-worm interaction if you choose to do so. All that and much more coming up in this episode. Let's get worms. Unless this episode is being played as background noise for a dog. Then no worms for you. Welcome to the podcast, Kathy Nesbitt. Thank you so much, Colton. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. Uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? So uh, my working title is Kathy Crawley Laughing Bean Queen. <laughs> 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 it's kind of simple solutions for today's challenges. So it's worms for amending the soil, sprouts for eating, and laughter for overall health and wellness. Yeah, today we are in the worms. I love it. All right. I, I, so it's the 20th anniversary of my worm composting business of Kathy's Crawley Composters. And this is indoor composting with worms. So I, I, you know, for anyone that is unaware of what composting is, why don't we start at the beginning? That's a great <laughs> place to start. <laughs> so composting is nature's way to convert our, our organic matter, our food scraps and our paper, our yard waste into compost or humus that we can put in our garden. So it's just a way to, yeah, convert our, our organic matter into compost. So usually it's done outside, no special equipment. You add in your yard waste, your food scraps, you turn it, add water. After a certain amount of time, it turns into compost that you can put into your garden. What I'm talking about here is vermicomposting. Same idea as outdoor composting, except it's done inside with worms. <laughs> worms in the house who doesn't want that <laughs> right yeah I have this like you know vague mental image composting it's like okay uh I kind of know what composting is I remember my grandmother having like you know a bucket of uh fruit skin scraps or things like that is that the general nature of composting yes it is yes it is and you know, so it, as I said, it's kind of nature's way. It's uh, composting is nature's kind of garbage disposal, although it's not garbage because nature doesn't make garbage. We do. <laughs> um, so yeah, so nature will, with all the organisms, all the microorganisms, all the healthy soil, all the little buggers in the soil that help to break down the food, the scraps, and then you know it gets converted into this humus, which is returning this the nutrients back into the soil. As plants grow, the nutrients are taken out of the soil into the plant. Um, so if, we're, if we don't take those scraps and add them back into the soil by composting or some other method, we're robbing the soil of those nutrients. And yes, a, a, another plant could grow there, it's, it's soil, but it will be less nutrient dense than the last, say you're growing a tomato plant. It's gonna be less nutritious than the last one. And I'm not saying anything new. We know that our food's broken because our agriculture is broken, because we're talking about monocropping and, you know, putting all these chemicals to manage a certain bug. But if anything that has a side in it at the end, like pesticide, a fungicide, herbicide, all of those aside means death. And it's death of kind of a whole host of critters, not just, you know, the targeted bug. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like we kind of just throw a lot of things at a problem and we're like, that'll fix it. You know, we throw just a ton of pesticides on stuff like, all right, no more bugs. And then we throw, I don't even know what the, the fertilizer mixture generally is, but we just throw a fertilizer out there. Is the general fertilizer we use fairly healthy for a soil or is it kind of a, a toxic additive as well? Huh. Ooh, that's a that's a kind of a loaded question in a way, <laughs> um, because so it depends on 
the type of fertilizer that you're adding, if it's a chemical additive, it's chemical. So it's probably not a biological fertilizer. And, you know, when we look at fertilizers, often when you buy a bag of fertilizer or a compost or something, it has three numbers on it. And it's the NPK. It's nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. I'm not sure why they they selected those three um, elements, but there are way more than just those three. So what we're doing with with when we're adding those chemicals or that that fertilizer is we're bumping up those those things and the chemical engineers are so smart. You know, it's just like our food, like the chemical engineers have designed our food so it tastes great and hits those pleasure centers. So we're like, ooh, got to have more of those, got to have more of that, even though it might not be great for us. Same with the adding those um, fertilizers in. I, I just like, like rather than slagging the fertilizer industry, I just like to say for people, if you make your own fertilizer, if you make your own compost, you know what's in it. Yeah, that's just kind of what I was wondering is like, why is uh, is compost, you know, the better fertilizer if it is? Yeah, it totally is because it's natural. It came out of the earth already. So now we're just adding it back into the earth and, you know, the natural process. There's a lot of skeptics out there saying we can't return back to organic farming. And I, and I, and I disagree. I think it's the only way that we need to, we must return to that way because when you feed the soil, um, the, the soil will look after the plant. Nothing to be done as, as gardeners or growers. We just look after the soil and the soil does what it needs to do for the plant. Yeah, that makes sense. So what is the difference between normal composting and what you do? Beautiful. Yes. Nice. So the, the main difference is that what I'm offering is indoor. So this is beautiful for anywhere that's too hot you know, Texas, whatever hot places <laughs> where you couldn't do it outside, the worms would just cook, that would be too hot. Um, or in like in Canada in the winter, too cold. Also for places in city, like in urban centers, doing outdoor composting, you might attract raccoons or rats or mice that you don't want. In cottage country, you might be attracting bears or um, coyotes or something that you don't want. So this is indoor and it's a solution for everywhere. Again, I started my, I didn't say this at the beginning, but I started my worm business in 2002 uh, when our landfill, the landfill for the greater Toronto area closed. And although we're second largest country in the world, we couldn't find a place to put a new landfill, hmm. right? And like nobody wants a landfill in their backyard. So there was uh, all kinds of pro pro to protesters. No, not here. We don't want it in our yard. So Michigan said, we'll take your garbage, but it's going to cost you. So a thousand trucks a week, Colton. Wow. 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 Like, just let that settle in for a second. Imagine the traffic jam. Like, we recently had this truck thing, and I think it ha was happening in the States. I don't know what's happening now. So you can imagine a thousand garbage trucks all lined up end to end, although they weren't because they were going 200 a day. <laughs> You know, and then they're at the border trying, waiting to get their papers checked. You know, it's just the whole thing is um, ridiculous in my mind. Just a business transaction between governments, right? The people have nothing to do with that. We just pay into it, right? We're by, by our taxes, we're paying in. And the government assumes our money is just like it's an infinite pool because it is for them because we just keep on paying in. There, there, there would be much better ways to manage it. And I had a solution. So our garbage landfill closed. We started exporting garbage. I'll go back to Toronto. Six million people in the greater Toronto area, half live in condos or townhouses without space to do outdoor composting. And, you know, when you put this uh, organic matter in the landfill, people think, oh, it's just going to break down. I can toss my apple core in the landfill because it's fine. It's, it'll just break down. It doesn't. That's one of the myths. When the, at the end of the day, when they've dumped their last truck in there, they run over it with tractors to flatten it all down, to squish out all the oxygen. In an um, anaerobic condition, without, meaning without oxygen, there's no decomposition, right? This is a whole science conversation, <laughs> 
right? So, so it's the oxygen that, that is required for the decomposition. And they're mining landfills now because we're running out of space, we're running out of materials. And they're mining landfills because there's lots of resources. Think about all the stuff you've thrown away over the years. And then, you know, multiply that by all the people in the States, all the people in Canada, right? Like the landfill is full of good, good stuff. <laughs> and so their mining landfills are taking out the, you know, the, from the center of the thing. And they're finding newspapers from like 50 years ago that you can still read. Hmm. And newsprint is one of the fastest things to break down. Yeah. So it sounds like they kind of froze everything in time rather than actually follow the uh, the tag that we see on everything that says biodegradable. Right. And, and, you know, those words are all, you know, we've heard of greenwashing and I think we need to be mindful about like green doesn't mean that it's organic or natural doesn't mean that it's natural, you know, like all beef products. I think that's somebody's um, one of the companies <laughs> thing. And that just means like, that's just the name of the company, all beef products, right? It doesn't mean that it's beef. <laughs> right yeah it's very much a good marketing move it's a great marketing uh, strategy for sure you know I, and i think as consumers we need to be aware of these ploys right they've got um great brains at the top you know the scientists that this the psychological engineers really that know ah this is gonna this word will hit them oh this will get them or what you know we, we just need to be aware that we're being marketed to all the time. Yeah. Even right now, get worms. <laughs> worms. So yeah, so you can compost inside with this. Does it take a lot of space indoors? Beautiful. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I haven't really, I've just been going on about composting. <laughs> <laughs> so the worm composting, yes. Yeah, so it's done inside a container. So you could use a container. There are systems, but um, for the do-it-yourselfers, any container will do. A Rubbermaid bin or something, a tote of that size would be would be perfect. Um, a plastic bin is ideal indoor just because um, it's portable, it's easy to move around. And if you use wood, it's going to get heavy and absorb the moisture. Okay, so you have your container. You need some kind of uh, bedding material. So it's carbon nitrogen, just like outdoor composting. The carbon that we use or the bedding is shredded paper. So there's lots of that around, you know, once you've paid your, your credit card bills, shred up, shred them up and put them in. <laughs> now the students can say the worms ate their, their homework instead of the dog. <laughs> there you go. And then, you, so then you have that a little bit of soil, eggshells, water, mix it all up. And then you start adding your food scraps in. Now, these are special worms that we use for worm composting. Uh, they're red wigglers. There are thousands of types of worms only four that are optimum for vermicomposting. Um, so the red wiggler is the optimum uh, composting worm and that we're looking for surface dwellers. So that's why they can live in a container. Um, the worms that come out when it rains, they're, they are um, called Canadian night crawlers or dew worms. They come out, they're, they're surface or they're um, uh, soil dwellers. So they're going below, they live below the frost line and then come up at night to draw the food down into their burrow. They don't eat nitrogen, so they are not composting worms. They're earthworms, just like the composting worms are, um, but they live in a different environment, so they're kind of like cousins. So the, the earthworms that live outside, they, are, um, they prefer cooler climates, and they eat carbon. The red wigglers prefer wor warmer climates, so they're like the spoiled indoor worms. <laughs> right, room temperature is perfect, um, so if we're comfortable, the worms will be fine. Um, and they eat the nitrogen, so they and they'll live in a container, and they're at the top of the, so they're, you know, just kind of at the top eating the stuff, and yeah, so beautiful. Interesting. I would have thought when you said like, oh yeah, we use worms. I'm like, oh, so you can just grab some the next time it rains or something, right? And just throw them in the the bin. Um, and it sounds like no, that is not the case. Right. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad I mentioned that because. Um, People often think that, oh, what? Because the red wigglers are, you know, they're $100 a pound Canadian. <laughs> so way less American. Uh, yeah, if you if you get those outdoor worms, because they, they burrow like four to six feet below the surface, so they go up and down their vertical feeders. They're going to be pretty uncomfortable in a container. And they would eat the bedding, but they wouldn't eat the nitrogen. And I think they would spend their whole time trying to get out of the bin thinking, ah, how do I 
where do I live? What's going on here? So I, um, yeah. So don't use those worms. That would just be cruel and unusual. Interesting. When you're saying, you know, like, oh, there's these worms. I also thought, are there other kind of bugs or crawlers of some sort that do this same, you know, job? Oh, that's a great question. Yes. There are all kinds of creepy crawly things that we're now realizing, wow, if we just look to nature, we can find all kinds of solutions. You know, biomimicry is um, what that science is called. I don't know if you've heard of that. You know, like they figured out Velcro from, from, you know, those birds when you're walking through the forest and you get all those birds stuck to you. That's how they came up with Velcro. Fun. Right? It's like, oh, look at that. That thing sticks. That's what we need. Something like that. (laughs) So, yeah. So right now, like in a worm bin or in healthy compost or healthy soil, there are all kinds of organisms I think it's like a billion. If you take a teaspoon of soil, there's like a billion little buggers in in that teaspoon of soil. You can't see them. They're microscopic. Um, But that's a lot (laughs) in your little thing there. Um, I I know there is, um, there's an organism called, um, it's a black black soldier fly. So the larva from that organ, from that fly, like the maggots, they consume so much stuff. I, I mean, I'm fascinated by that. And anyone that's listening, hope you're not having eating right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause these, the, they're so fascinating. The black soldier fly larva, they, like it looks, it's a beautiful fly. It's a, it's a, it's an incredible insect. First of all, it's just beautiful. It's got the sheen on it. The, the, the maggots are pretty creepy. Like they're maybe a couple of inches long, but they eat a lot. So they convert all the stuff. I'm just not sure. I would love to visit a plant where they're using the the black soldier fly larva to manage organic matter because they eat so much. But how do they prevent them from turning into flies? That's what I'd love to know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's the turnover on these, uh, these fly larva? Interesting. So, you know, you said, you know, they're sold basically by the pound. How many worms do you need for what kind of space? Oh, great. Thank you. Yes. So there, for the red wigglers, there's 800 to 1,000 worms in a pound. So these are cute little worms. <laughs> you know, if worms could be cute. I mean, I think they are. <laughs> some sure people that, are like, cute. Yeah, that'll be hit or miss for some people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Don't stay tuned, people. <laughs> um, yeah. So here's the formula. The worms eat, once they're established in the bin, they eat about half their weight per day in food scraps. So again, back to our pound of worms. If you had a pound, you'd be looking at half a pound per day or three to four pounds per week of food waste. So they're eating the food waste and they're eating the paper. You're adding both and they're converting all of that. So imagine like, I, I, I think it's a great idea if you know for the average family to start with a pound of worms. The worms have a phenomenal reproduction rate. So they're gonna keep on increasing in numbers. So you can keep on adding more food into your bin as the worms increase um, and, and just allow the worms naturally to increase. The, the formula is a pound of worms per square foot of surface. So if, if, you know, if, if people are vegetarian or vegan, they might be like, oh, we produce way more scraps than that in a week. Good. Like, that's great. So you either need more worms or you only manage that part of the, the food scraps to start until they increase in number. You know, and, and I'd like to actually talk about some of the objections that people have about vermicomposting. Sure. And, you know, worms in the house, first of all, it's like, oh, like that's creepy. Could be if you're afraid of worms. Um, one of the one of the main ones is smell. Is it going to smell? Because you're putting your rotting food in there. It's like how it's it's counterintuitive. Um, but composting is aerobic process, meaning with oxygen. So, you know, remember back to the landfill where they squish out the oxygen, it's anaerobic. So this is aerobic, meaning with oxygen, like aerobic exercise. So it's with oxygen. It it should never smell like rotting food. If it smells like rotting food, the oxygen has now been converted into methane, into gas. So it's like a built-in mechanism. We can't breathe gas. So if it smells, we're breathing gas in. And worms can't breathe gas either. They breathe through their skin. So it's it's a beautiful little way for us to know, oh, maybe too much food has been added. The bedding has become too wet. Somehow the oxygen has been squished out. Action is required. <laughs> so smell is one of the 
main objections. Fruit flies is another one. And fruit flies, I, I, got, I kind of really like that objection because um, I'll say to people, like, they're like, I don't, want, I don't want fruit flies in my house. Okay, good. So my question is, have you ever had fruit flies? And yes, almost everybody has if they have ever bought fruit and had it in their house. Because <laughs> they're fruit flies, the eggs are on the fruit. Um, so that my second question after they say, yes, they've had fruit flies, I say, have you ever had a worm bin? No. Good. Okay. So, you know, the fruit flies don't come from the worm bin because you didn't have one. So I'm going to use bananas as my example. When we bring the bananas home from the grocery store, the eggs are on there. As they start to get speckled and ripen, perfect environment for the fruit fly eggs to hatch and fly around and bug us. We don't generally wash the banana before eating it, right? We just peel the banana and eat the banana. So the fruit fly eggs are still intact on the peel. Something you can do so that you don't get a fruit fly explosion in your worm bin is rinse those peels that you don't generally wash. So your bananas, your melons, your pineapple, give it a quick rinse, chop it up, add it into your worm bin. And you're also burying the food in the bedding. Yeah. And that seems like a, a fix that everybody should know, even if you're like, well, I don't know if, you know, indoor composting's for me, like maybe wash your banana peels and fix your fruit fly problem too. Right. It, yes, exactly. I, I know because people are like, oh, fruit flies. I don't. I, I, oh, I always have a big explosion. Good. So they, you know, right. I, I just want people to be aware that the fruit flies or the worm bin isn't going to bring in the fruit flies. And then the next, oops, the next one is that people will say, what about rodents? I don't want to have rodents. It's like if you have rodents in your house, you have a problem. <laughs> right. You got to address that. But they're not going to be attracted because. Rodents, I mean, although they are omnivores, they eat everything, um, I would say that they're more attracted to meat um, than to the fruit and veg. Okay. So say we've we've gotten this far, right? We have the indoor bin, we have started composting or vermicomposting. Do you have to take care of these worms or are they like very self-sufficient? They're pretty self-sufficient. There's not a lot of time commitment in a week. Um, you need to, I mean, you're, you're, uh, vegetable prep stuff, like your meal prep, your potato peels, rather than your plate scrapings, where you've got your sodium, you've got your sauce, you've got other things that might be harmful to the worms. Um, you're just looking at your prep work. So you're already peeling your potatoes or chopping your vegetables. So just as easy to chop a little bit further because worms don't have teeth. And then you just add it in. So you're feeding your worms maybe once or twice a week um, on your own schedule. And they and they will adapt. They live in the dark. Um, they really do, they're not pets. <laughs> you know, they really don't want you to take them out and play with them because they don't like the light. They don't they're going to get burned by the, you know, just being exposed. Yeah. So so they're not really much work at all. And they don't make any noise. They're 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 great house guests. Nice. So it's, this isn't like a, an extensive care plan for uh, for owning <laughs> indoor composting. No, it really isn't. And you know what's really beautiful about vermicomposting? When you start looking after your scraps, when you start to become more mindful of what you're producing and then the worms convert that, and then you have this beautiful black gold, the nutrient-rich soil that the worms have produced from the food that you've eaten, how wonderful, you know, then you can grow some plants. Like if you don't have a garden, have a garden. <laughs> Even if you don't have a house, like if you live in an apartment or you live, um, you know, somewhere where you don't have space, outdoor space, there's lots of options for doing growing in pots or growing like in a window. You know, I really would encourage people to to take up gardening or at least to have some something that they're growing. It's a great project for kids, teaches us where our food comes from and Here's the kicker. I mean, we throw out so much food waste in North America. It's it's really a crime <laughs> when there's so many, you know, people that are starving. Here we are. We're like, ah, you know, you look at buffets. And I, I know this, we're talking about BC <laughs> before COVID. <laughs> you know, um, and, and cruises. Imagine how much waste on a cruise ship. And just like all these places where all this food mount, mounds up and just gets thrown away. When you grow, when you have a garden, or you grow a plant, you grow some food, 
you're not throwing it away because it tastes so delicious, first of all, and it took a lot of effort. Gardeners are the most hopeful people because you plant a seed today. It's not until three months that you get to do your harvest or, you know, depending what you're growing and you need to tend to it. You got to water it. You got to go weed it. You know, you got to look after it. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I think it's, it helps us to slow down. And during this cuckoo time, as soon as we got closed down, locked down or whatever you call it, my phone started ringing off the hook because in Canada, at least we were, our, our schools were closed from March, 2020, when they had spring break for the rest of the year, like with the, the kids didn't go back in classroom, they were online. So people were looking for, you know, everyone was working from home, the kids were at home. And I was getting so many calls from people like, oh, the kids are at home, we need a project, we're going to get a warm bin, won't this be fun? Good. Right. Now I'm in. Like, what do I care how the how the worms get in their house? That's good. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the longer we were lo- locked down in Canada, we import about 60% of our food. Wow. Right. Because we have winter, we have really short growing season. And so when our border closes, it's a big problem. It's a big, big problem because we got to think, oh gosh, how are we going to feed all our people? Because we can't just import the food. Our borders are closed. Um, So the longer we were locked down, the more, the busier I became, first of all. (laughs) Yay. And the more urgent it was, people were like, oh my gosh, you know, now we've been locked down for six months now. And now I'm thinking about my food, like, oh, I better, I'm going to start a garden. What do I need? Oh, I need soil. Oh, where do I get soil? Oh, worms. So it kind of was a work backwards to the worms being the soil makers. (laughs) Okay, get the soil makers. And then, yeah, now we can have a, so it's, it's a beautiful thing. I think it's really brought a lot more awareness. And the younger set, I would say the, you know, the young, young folks today have, have been their whole life. They've been told about this climate crisis, their whole life. It's like, we're doomed. So I, I, you know, and I think you can't come up with solution until you have a problem. Luckily we have tons of problems today. So there's lots of opportunity for solution. And I, and I, and I say that like in with an open heart, I mean, I'm sad that we have all these problems. So, so the younger people are really looking to get back into, into farming, into gardening, into growing. There's micro farming, there's sprouts, there's um, uh, microgreens. There's all kinds of young people that are doing these projects. The challenge is land prices are so expensive that people are having trouble buying, you know, acreage. How do you, how do you buy a farm when you're just starting out? So now, at least in Canada, I'm sure around the world, there are projects going on where people are partnering. Somebody will have a farm and then you get a little strip of land, you grow something until your your business or your little project is big enough that you're able to buy another plot or, you know, invest a little bit more. Or even on streets, I know like there's a lot of community gardens and even, even in neighborhoods, you know, Maybe I'm growing a lot of tomatoes. Hey, I've got a lot of tomatoes. Maybe you've got some lettuce and someone has cucumbers. Look, we have a salad now. Right. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, it all, it all sounds very good. And it sounds like, although the situation was uh, not optimal, you know, with everyone being locked down, it sounds like it kind of brought an awareness to, you know, the need to compost, at least at some level. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, kind of before COVID, we were kind of skating along, like everyone was so busy going here, going there, just not, there was no time for us to think about anything, like really any planning, anything. We're just like going, running here and there. And so this really did allow us time, (laughs) a lot of time, you know, and I know there's still a lot of people that are struggling during this, uh, this time, this, we, this is really, it's divisive. And so many issues, but yes, it did bring awareness. That was a long answer. (laughs) It's all good. So going back to vermicomposting, how do you harvest this like material that they've made as fertilizer without stirring up their environment too much or like harming the worms when you take it out? Ah, thank you. Yes, good. 
Um, yeah, so so the easiest way, and for anyone that's listening, if you know it's it's hard to maybe visualize what I'm talking about. Everything's there's step by step instructions on my website. But if you have a like a Rubbermaid container or just a single container, the dump and sort is the easiest way. So after three to five months, once it's all converted, you dump your your material out on a on a tarp or a plastic sheet, put it in small round piles. The worms are photosensitive or afraid of the light. So they're just going to go down into the piles. It takes it takes maybe an hour to do. Um, you let them sit for a few minutes, let them go away. And then you're just scooping off the material from the sides and the top. Then they're keeping uh, escaping. So that's why if you do small piles rather than one big giant pile, which would take a very long time, um, you know, just from each pile, you're scooping away, putting setting the black gold aside putting your worms aside. And then once you get them all separated, you set up your new bedding, or maybe you've got that ready already. So then your, your worms are not exposed for too long. Um, add them back into the bedding and then use that black gold for your gardens. So yeah, you said like three to five months for a turnaround time in there. How do you know when you're done? Yeah, beautiful. So you know when it's done, when um, it's all, like you'll see, it's it's really it really is a great uh, project for students for for children because you can actually not not that you get to watch them do their work because they don't like the light but you see that you start with shredded paper you can see that everything's visible and then you know it it gradually turns into soil and the volume is reduced and um, yeah it's so so the material is all converted that's that's how you know. Um, even though you keep on adding so that, so the material will be at the bottom and you're adding your stuff on the top. So actually you don't want to wait till it's all converted because you'll lose your worms. What you'll do is you'll have a bunch of stuff on top. You can take out that top kind of layer castings and all like uh, all your paper, all your, you know, rotting food that's still existing, put that in your new bin and then, and then dump out the rest. And it'll be mostly, you know, there may be some chunky bits that you need to put back into the other to be processed a little bit further. Gotcha. But there's like a very clear, like you can look at it and see like, oh, that is black gold. That's the finished product I'm looking for versus like, this is everything else. Yes, exactly. And, you know, fascinating thing about the worms, because they keep on reducing the volume, as long as you keep on adding the carbon and nitrogen, the paper and the food scraps on top, they're surface dwellers. So their poop is at the bottom. They're living up here. Um, when I first started my worm business um, in 2002, I was I received a call from a woman and she said, I've been worm composting for, for many years and it's becoming too much for me. Um, would you like my system? And I was like, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want her bin with worms. I wanted to meet this lady. She had been doing worm compost. I think she said 10 years. So I was like, oh my gosh, she, she has more knowledge than me. I want to, I want to meet this lady. So I said, yes, that would be great. So she said, let me uh, get the soil and then I'll call you back. She called me in two weeks and she said, okay, I've, I've, I got the soil. And she said the worms, there was no worms. And I thought how poetic she bought a pound of worms 10 years prior, used the worms and then, and then she was finished with it. And the worms were finished. Like I thought it was, was magic. So when I went to uh, pick up the worm bin, this woman was in a wheelchair. She had MS. And I was like, my thought, and she was an older woman. I was like, wow. I didn't say this out loud, <laughs> but I thought, wow, like, look at you with your own challenges. But here you are, you care enough to have the worms to manage your scraps. So I said to her, wow. When was the last time that you harvested? And she said, I've never har harvested. I've never harvested in 10 years. She would just take out. She said, whenever I needed some of the soil, I would go take the lid off. The worms would escape. I'd take out the soil that I needed and keep on. And I was like, so 10 years, the worms kept reducing the bomb. She took out what she needed. She never actually did the dump and sort. So I thought that was fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, right? The worms are adaptable. That's what I want to say is the worms will adjust to your schedule, to your time frame. Interesting. And there are systems too. So I so that that's the, you know, the bin if someone just has a bin. For those that that want a system, there are some beautiful systems. I have one that's made in Canada. It's called the Living Composter. And it's so beautiful. It's um it's actually a functional piece of furniture. 
It looks like a stool. It's got two trays. Um, the bottom is the legs and the base to capture the liquid. Then you have two operating trays and a lid. There's holes in the bottom of the tray. So you're working one tray at a time. When the tray fills up, you just set the next one on top and the worms will migrate up. So you don't have to do the hands-on separation, which is the part that is objectionable. You know, unless you really like worms or, you, you know, you want to do that hands-on part. Um, not everybody does. They want to be responsible for the environment. Like they're like, I want to, I want to do this. Uh, but I don't want to do the worms. I, like, I don't want to touch the worms. I don't really want to see them. And you don't have to. When you have a system, right, you add your food in, you feed them and leave them. And then, you know, the worms do the harvesting. So they go upstairs. Then you've got your tray of black gold. You take that out, use that on your garden and just rotate your trays. Um, so those systems are, are beautiful. Um, and, and they fit into your decor. Like not everybody wants to have a Rubbermaid bin under their kitchen table, <laughs> right? So this kind of fits in. Uh, and, and you think about, uh, say, some of the smaller units in New York City, some of the smaller um, apartments. They might not have space for anything else. So this, this will take the place of that. And, and managing our food waste is one of the things that we can all do. You know, we just came off the heels of COP26 and managing food waste is one of the, you know, the one thing that we can all do to help mitigate climate change. Because we all eat, even if we're eating fast food or whatever, at some point you're, you're going to make a meal <laughs> or you drink coffee or tea or whatever. And, and so you're, you're creating some scraps. And it's a wonderful way to feel good. It's a feel-good project. And we're helping the, the climate. You know, like imagine if we didn't have to truck around all of this food waste. It, it's Well, yeah, and dump it in the landfill and then dig it up several decades later just to find out we uh, haven't really solved anything. Right, yeah. There's, you know, and I think that there's wonderful minds today that are coming up with these solutions. Again, you can't have solution without problem. And there's so many wonder, and I'm meeting them. Like, it's just so beautiful. The, when we come together again, during this cuckoo time has allowed a lot of people to do Zoom meetings and, and just get connected. And it's like, oh, I have this idea. Oh, I have the idea too. And then partnerships are forming. It's, it's magic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in the States, you have a lot of uh, red wiggler growers already in the States. We're just quiet. We're underground. <laughs> Yeah. So what's the, what's the dream with this? Like how much space would be ideal for us to just like set aside for like a major operation of some sort? Well, you know, my, my goal is actually for everybody to have worms. My goal is worms in every living space, like every house, every apartment, every school, every business. So we don't even have to truck it around. So next time you have an apple, you have your apple core and you're like, Oh, where's the worm bin? And we just know like like we have recycling bins, you know, like we have other containers, the worm bin will just be there. That's that's my dream is um, worms everywhere and everyone knowing about this. 20 years in, I'm still meeting people who haven't heard of it. Um, and I have a psych degree and I think, you know, I'm meeting a lot of people as adults who were traumatized by as children, maybe by a sibling or someone in the schoolyard, you know, after a rain, they got chased around by someone with a worm or, you know, a sibling put a worm in their shirt or, or they went fishing and had a fishing mishap or something with the worm. And, you know, when you get traumatized by something, um, you're not looking to that as a solution, <laughs> you know? So although I've, I've had a lot of exposure with my worms, um, if you're afraid of it, you're not even looking at that article, you know, maybe they're not listening to this podcast, but I hope they are, you know? So yeah, I, I, the worm is the challenging piece of indoor composting with worms because of people's experience with worms. So my, my goal, my, what is my dream? My dream is for people to overcome their fear of worms. And I think I'm helping with that. I, I, I laugh a lot. People might've noticed. And that came to me, the laughter came to me because about 10 years into my worm business, <laughs> it took me a long time to get the message that people didn't want what I had. <laughs> Uh, and and I, I, you know, one more person said to me, ew, worms in the house. <laughs> and I was like, oh, 
how am I going to do this? If people are afraid of worms, how am I going to, how they're not calling me. Um, and I was introduced to laughter yoga. And so, yeah, I, I just, I just want people to understand that these worms, they, they can't hurt us. They don't carry disease. You know, they have five hearts each, each worm. And I, and I think it's so we can love them a little bit more. Like nature's like, these worms are going to be reviled later on, but we should, you know, make people love them. And so we gave them five hearts. <laughs> so, eight, you know, 800 to 1,000 worms in a pound, five hearts each, four to 5,000 hearts in a pound of worms. It's, it's a lot of love. And, and they're doing great work. These worms are, they've been waiting a million years or, or longer. Like they were roaming the earth with the dinosaur. Dinosaurs aren't here anymore, right? There's fish and whatever, lizards and birds and whatever versions of, of dinosaurs, but the dinosaur themselves is gone and worms are still here. So they're survivors. And I believe they've been waiting to help us with our garbage crisis. Their time has come. Yeah, there you go. Love was, a worm. <laughs> <laughs> love a worm. Yeah, I was trying to think of like how this could scale up, you know, like if maybe there is. I don't know that it works as well in like a city environment, but people that live perhaps in like a commune that are already using regular composting, like could pretty easily sort, you know, as a group, their amount of uh, natural waste and then throw it into like a larger version of this, you know, indoor composting. Is there any problem that shows up or any challenges that show up if you tried to increase the scale on this project? Yeah. There is. Yeah, thank you. Um, it, it, everything, you know, that's the question that, that I often get. And I often get that question from municipalities and stuff, like looking for a larger solution. Everything can be scaled up. It needs to be managed because the worms are living creatures and all of those organisms are living creatures. Um, you need to have the right environment. So you need the right temperature, the right moisture, the right airflow, the right ingredients. And the challenge with doing it on a larger scale, when we add in the nitrogen and we combine that with the carbon, that then we get that chemical reaction, the biological chemical reaction, and it starts to heat up. Composting is generally a thermophilic or heating process. Vermicomposting is mesophilic or even temperature. So once we add in those fuels, we start to heat up. And I'll give you an example. I did a, a project with one of our local grocery stores and just one of the small, you know, the old timey ones, you know, that were small, not, not the mega super right. centers. The mom right? and pop shop. Yeah. The, the little, like I'd say regular size, you know, you could still take your cart around, but it, it didn't take you six days to get through the store. So I, I, I needed more food for my worms at the beginning. So I was like, what can I do? And I was like, oh, grocery store, they throw out a lot of stuff. Because when you go to the grocery store, imagine if all the apples were bruised, or just a little bruised, or, you know, the lettuce was all rusty, like who's buying that stuff? Nobody. So they have people coming along, taking all that stuff out. So the experience is nice. They have to get rid of that stuff because it rots fast, it smells, it attracts fruit flies and road, right? So they got to get rid of that stuff very fast. And they pay a lot to get rid of it because of the urgency. So I was like, I'll intercept the garbage truck and I'll go and collect that stuff. And because I was doing a project to see how much they were producing, I didn't charge for that service. So they were saving actually, right? They weren't paying to have it disposed. I was going to get it. And I thought it would just, I didn't know. I had no idea, but this little teeny grocery store, I, I collected 3,300 pounds of food in a month. Wow. Wow. That's like a hundred pounds a day kind of equivalent. <laughs> right. So I was like, holy. And I had to go every day because that was my commitment to them that I would come every day and collect that stuff. Wow. I was like, oh my gosh, now what do I do? I have to wait for it to rot. A lot of the stuff was still good food. Like, because they didn't know they just had to get rid of, it. okay, the new stuff's coming. We've got to get rid of it. Wow. So I said to my husband, I need, I, I can't, that, what am I going to do with all this food? <laughs> So he built me a compost. We had these old doors when we bought our house. There was these two old doors in the garage. So it's like, hey, can you make me a composter out of those two old doors? So that's how big it was. However, a door is like, was that six or seven feet long? However high that is. So that's how big my composter was. 
And I was able to manage 3,300 pounds of food in that small space, but it was so hot. I had the hottest pile in town. I, I was, uh, there was no worms in there. It was just like the food scraps kind of rotting. I was adding in um, the paper. So I, it was smoking hot pile. I was, I was, I, I thought I was going to have a fire. It was so hot. Uh, it, it was actually quite an amazing project because every day I would add in the scraps. It would fill up. My bin was full, like that container was full. Um, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And by the next day, from the heat, the decomposition, all the activity that was going on, it reduced enough every day that I was at, able to add in every day is like 100 pounds of stuff. Wow. Wow. That is, wow. That is a lot of composting. <laughs> That's a lot. It was, it was amazing. I, I, I was, yeah, it was an incredible project, but it really made me sad because I thought, wow, look at how much we're one store, one little store, 3,300 pounds. What are the super centers doing? Yeah, that wow. is a really shocking number actually to hear that you're like, oh yeah, a small grocery store produces a hundred pounds a day in waste. Like, Can you imagine? And they're paying, right? Like it's a business. So they're paying to have that stuff delivered to the store that with the intention of selling it, but then, oh, the new, st okay, well, here we go. This is the garbage and out it go out the door. It goes right. Like, and that costs. So they're paying to have it delivered and then paying to have it taken away. Yeah. It, it makes you think about the, the cost impact that has to have because they're buying product that will inevitably just get thrown away and be replaced by new product that they have also purchased. And then they have to pay for it to be taken away. Like there's a, there's a lot of money moving hands in that situation. Right. And with rising fuel costs, I mean, we pay as the consumer, right back to the consumer. They're not losing money. The grocery stores aren't losing. They're right. Never. They're going to just increase prices. So we will end up paying, but just think about that. Right paying to have it delivered. And then, oh, we got to pay the, the disposal fee too. Yeah. So for the young folks that are listening and, you know, the entrepreneurial folks that are listening, there's an opportunity here. There's a big, up. like, think about all the grocery stores, all the restaurants, all the hotels, all the places where there's food waste opportunity for you. Yeah. That's what it, it definitely makes me think of is I'm like, okay, well, if you have you know, that much waste, there is definitely the ability somewhere to put in, you know, a central processing plant that is just a gigantic indoor composting center, you know, reduce the amount going into a landfill, produce a product because, you know, you're destroying this, uh, essentially what people are seeing as, as waste product. And I guess it is, it's just not like trash. So you're reducing this waste product and you're, creating a very it seems sustainable and uh good kind of a fertilizer so you accomplish a lot of things and i'm just thinking like you got to be able to implement this somewhere yeah, yeah the challenge is mm, that the, that the food waste the organic matter rots it rots so fast so it's goopy and it stinks and and it's kind of a, a challenge to manage Versus, say, the recycling bin where we're dealing with plastics and cans and paper, you know, easier to manage than this rotting, you know, it was yesterday's dinner, but today it's the devil. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Well, you've certainly give everyone a, a lot to think about. I know you gave me a lot to think about, but why don't you tell everyone, you know, where they can find you and, uh, and everything else. And uh, I just appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Colton. Yeah, so my worm website is probably the best place. It's kathyscomposters.com. And there's lots of videos and news articles and how to how to do this. And, and I really want people to be successful at this. I'm not just here flogging worms. I really want people to, to take this on and be lifelong worm growers. Yeah, that sounds great. So thank you again for being on the show. I appreciate your time very much. Thank you, Colton. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. Remember to share this show with other people and give it a review if you can, if you really, really enjoyed it. Right before I get this all wrapped up, uh, I had a couple people ask me recently why I didn't do more than one episode a week. 
And while I'd love to, and I plan to eventually when I can do this to support myself, I do have a full-time job that I work outside of this. And what most people who haven't known a podcaster don't know is that the amount of time it takes to edit and finalize all of this really piles up. For instance, this episode is under an hour for you to listen to it, but before I cut out our pre- and post-roll conversations, gaps, my guest getting two phone calls, and our one internet crash that happened, it was almost a half hour longer. Now, I have to listen back through all of that just to make sure I have a clean edit for all of the listeners, not to mention recording the intro and outro monologues like this right now. Add on top of that finding guests, sending emails, getting interviews set up through Zoom, corresponding with the guests for the post-episode release. It, it all really adds up really fast. Uh, and that's just to say that it keeps me busy. And I'm feeling much better about my editing than when I started this podcast six months ago. So I've made some show stickers, and I'm going to send them out to the first five to fifteen people who can email or message the show and tell me where I cut out a call or the internet drop-off. Uh, that's potentially three stickers, if you can find all three of them. And uh, these are probably the only stickers like this I'm going to run just because I'm uh, looking to do some updating for our thumbnail and the show header and all kinds of things like that, so these are going to be extremely limited edition. Remember, you can just email us at dumbenoughpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also reach out to me on any of the social media, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think I have it all. I'm trying to keep up with all that, as well as all this other stuff I just talked about. Um... Also email or message if you have a question, a suggestion for a guest, questions for the guests, uh, or anything else that's on your mind. And lastly, we have the ranking updates, and there is some updating going on. Number one, the U.S. actually making up some ground that they had lost over the last couple weeks, I believe. Number two, Canada making a triumphant return after our favorite Canadian psychic last week. And it'll probably get another nice bump this week having a Canadian guest today. Number three, India sliding down after Canada came back to take its spot. Number four, the UK so close to taking number three back. And finally, at number five, Sweden keeping a narrow lead over Germany and New Zealand. That's all I've got this week. I'll see you next time. Bye bye Thank you.